0: My guest on today's podcast is Julian Pinot. You guys can find him at StrongFit1 on the socials, and he is the founder of StrongFit, and he is back for round two. Last podcast, we got into something called baseline versus stress response, discussed the role of noradrenaline, as well as Carl Friston, and how movement can influence anxiety, depression, and so much more. Today's podcast, because that first one was so wildly popular, is diving a little bit more into that. And we get into something that Julian calls Q training. What is it? Well, let's get into the podcast. You guys can find the show notes for this one, which are doozy at decoding superhuman.com slash strongfit two. So Julian, you have two hours. And since now you're on the other side of the world, uh, <laughs> I may take a lot of that from you, but let's, uh, let's see where we go today. Um, Right before I clicked record on this, you and I were just talking about uh, training. And I was kind of relating my experience with uh, what I understand to be Q training. And I want to get into that today. And just sort of contrasting that between my experiences with uh, the conjugate method or West Side Barbell and how I was training for powerlifting competitions and just kind of beating the shit out of myself, literally, uh, in order to compete. Versus, you know, Q training or what I understand to be Q training, uh, and really just the enjoyment of it. And so, right. let's—I I, want to unpack all of this with you today, and I'm sure we'll go around all kinds of areas. But right. let's let's just go right for it.
1: Right. So first of all, let's explain building the shit out of yourself because if you train for power, everything is going to happen. But turns out there's really two different ways of building the shit out of yourself. There's the building yourself physically, which, you know, you're sore the next day, you're bitter, like all good. Like we all have to go through it. You want to get stronger. You're going to have to put heavy weight on your back. You're going to feel it. But then there's the kicking your ass mentally. And that's where I think we are um, misunderstanding some very important factors. And so the Q training, like the volume I'm doing right now through it is monstrous. Uh, And so like, I'm sore, like uh, as much as I'm enjoying the process, that does not stop the soreness or the beating up physically, like I'm really feeling it this morning. But the biggest difference with all this was exactly what you talked about, was that, is that um, feeling, you know, waking up in the morning, excited to go train. Oh, I can't wait to go blast myself, right? Which uh, I'm sure a lot of the listeners will relate to at some point. You're like, oh my God, I got to go to the gym. So so some moments is normal where you go, oh, I got to go train this morning. But turns out, again, there are two different, oh, uh, there's the one where you go like, all right, let me go to the gym and do this. I'm just, it's normal. I'm a bit tired. I'm a bit sore. I don't feel like moving again. That's fine. But then there's the other part, which is the flight mode, where like your sense of self is actually getting crushed. And going to the gym requires a more, a greater and greater commitment of energy every morning. And when I mean energy, I don't mean like, come on, let's do this. I mean, like you have to go deep inside uh to go dig, to find a reason to move forward. And at some point, you feel feel your sense of self being crushed on a daily basis. Uh, You can cope with it. You can pretend it's toughness to go through it. You can use drugs. There are many ways to go through it. My view on it was that is it necessary, first of all, and is it a good thing, second of all? So a lot of people will say, yes, it's necessary. No, it's probably not a good thing. And the necessary is where I'll disagree with people. And so, uh, how do I, how do I came down, uh, to that idea? Actually, it's through physiology, through biology that I went to there. So I started, we talked about this. Uh, I started testing the lactate levels, right, of people and everything. And then as I, because I studied lactate a lot. And then, um, to go back, for example, like I'm going to try to do it chronologically so people understand, uh, in a simple way. Like about two three years ago, I had a, one of my coaches. His name is Wim. He has a lot of endurance athletes, like marathon runners. He had a uh, he had a guy who ran a two ten, I think. So I mean, like, wow. you know. So he had yeah, yeah. His brother ran a two thirty. Uh, so the two of them are like very very high in the endurance world, right? And we noticed something. What the mistakenly called the anaerobic threshold. There is no anaerobic threshold. There is no lactic acidosis, but that's another podcast, right? But we did see that spike of lactate. So the question was, what is that spike of lactate due to? So so people understand, you make people do sprints, and then you see the lactate go up, and at some point, you, you get a hockey stick, which means the lactate just jumps up. And that's what is called the anaerobic threshold. The old way of thinking was that it's because you don't have the oxygen to oxidize the lactate has nothing to do with that because lactate is produced aerobically or anaerobically and it would not explain the spike anyway. On top of it, we see that spike in what is called a septic shock, for example, where when people go sepsis or infection in the blood, the body starts to get in trouble. We see no acidosis at that moment, but we see the lactate going up. So there was a deep relationship between lactate and whatever that was. So. What is that? So we start to look, uh, like, for example, we do a study with, I think it was 400 people, like a, a large, large number of people. Uh, and we saw that that spike of lactate happened when they jumped into flight. So we did a, a, a series of tests, you know, with questions and stuff like that. And you can also check the pupils for a sympathetic reaction. And we saw people telling us that they went from hunting the sprints to being hunted by the sprint. And I think we can all relate to that. Like you're in a workout and you're hunting it, and suddenly you get hit, and then suddenly you feel the workout is hunting you. It's not the same feeling, and it's not a good feeling. And it turns out that's your sense of self sense of self got hit. And that's what causes that spike of lactate. It's actually a self-defense mechanism because lactate is a fuel, not a waste product. And so your whole body is producing massive amount of fuels because it detected. A threat that is so large because it touches the sense of self that he has to jump into the next mode. So he jumps from fight to flight. Right. So I hope that makes sense from that. From yeah,
0: this part. I just um, uh, one. I'm going to interject here and just say like yes. is mm-hmm. is there a case and uh, maybe there's a certain mental state uh, where it's good to push mm-hmm. that boundary. Right. Like the person who, last time we were talking about baseline versus response. Right. And um, if your baseline is so low, for instance, is it good to, Mm -hmm. I I know you coined the term, burn the questions, like, is it good to really get there um, in order to get that sense of self?
1: Right. So exactly. So that's the question is, can you challenge a sense of self? Yes. Can you defeat it? No. Mm. That's really the thing. So burn the questions, which means you're still in fight, which means you never let yourself go to that moment where you feel you're losing the sense of self, because that's when the sense of self is being defeated. So uh, I would need a few hours to explain that, but turns out that I made a podcast on this where I think the sense of self is actually a function of the threat system. I think the sense of self is actually what allows us to go from fight to flight, that um, like, you know, fight is I'm dealing with the world, things happen, I can do this and then suddenly the flight is more like, alright, I'm at risk but right? like, things are not going well, I need to revise my position and I need to take out, that's why we call it the flight, I need to start running, I'm being hunted, like there's a survival mechanism that comes in that is what I think the sense of self is it's part of the threat assessing system that we have which would explain why the sense of self from uh, the you have a connection from the heart straight to the part of the brain that links to the me. So I would have to go into this, but sense of self is the me versus the I, right? It's body as a subject versus body as an object. So there's an entire thing there, but long story short, I think the sense of self is just a function of the threat assessing system of the body. Right. And it's the one that directs energy, the sense of self. And when you feel like you're at a threat at an existential threat, you start to pump that flight mode and pump the energy level to the max. So, is there, is it a good idea to go there? Yes, as long as you can win the fight. If you were to go into uh, losing the fight, it would crash you completely because you would end up in freeze where the body is not capable of dealing with whatever was happening and therefore goes to freeze to first of all stop spending so much energy and try to reassess what went wrong. So we could have some moments where it'd be interesting to go there as a way to ask ourselves existentialist questions. Do I want this or not? But if you lose, the price is very high. Okay. You could crash yourself to, into depression or to, to stuff like that. Turns out that's what really depression is. It's just your body pulling the handbrake, going like, all right, we keep spending energy on all that stuff and it's not going anywhere. We are not solving any problem. The threat keeps being there. At some point, we have to stop doing this is just not the correct way of the prediction system that we have is wrong because it's not helping us solve the issue. So therefore, we have to pump the handbrake and reset the prediction system. And that's what depression is, basically. And until you do, you stay in that phase. So there are interesting questions that can be asked, but they have to be answered. Because otherwise, you'll crash yourself until you answer them. So depending how deep you are in the hole, that would be interesting to see where we go with this.
0: Okay. It was, it's a good question. Where do we go with this? Because I want to get back on the 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 path to how Q training developed, right? Because you you've gone through and you know, the last time you and I spoke on this podcast, it was baseline versus stress response. And we were talking very much about noradrenaline and lactate and all of these things. Um Beautiful conversation. Encourage people to tune back into that one. And so that's been, it was December last year, actually. And since that time, you've kind of progressed quite a bit. I know you read a lot of Friston. Um, and what d- has that journey looked like for you in kind of arriving at Q? I
1: figured out something I think major that we missed. I, I really do. And I'm going to explain where I come from here. So um, if you look when you, talk mental health, you see three issues. You're giving me a two when you need a 10. You're giving me a 10 when you need a two and you can't give me a six.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Which means what do I mean by uh, giving you a six? Well, you know, like there's something you don't like, fight with a boss or whatever. And you only have two ways to answer it's Either you give me a two, which is fully depressed, where you avoid the fight or you give me a 10, which means you lose your marble, start screaming or is stressed out for two days. Your reaction did not match what the fight was. No one said the fight is enjoyable, that you should like it or anything, but it's not a 10 either. It's not losing my marbles, my sense of self was destroyed because the guy is an asshole. The guy is an asshole, it's worth a six. Or you 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 deal with email that you don't want to do. Okay, that's a four, right? But if you see a problem is when you answer with a one, which is procrastination, or 10, you stress yourself out so much to do the email, You're you're crashing for three hours after. Those are not correct responses based on what the world is giving you, right? So it means that your prediction to what this is is wrong. You either can give me a one which means you procrastinate or you just lose your marbles over doing something that is neither, that is somewhat in the center where you need to do stuff you don't like, but it doesn't require that much either. And you know that. You just can't deal with it, right? That's what giving me a six is. Right, And this is where, to me, most of the work is, is can you give me a a response that that fits the demand of your environment? Because if you cannot, that's called a somatic error. That's what will lead to anxiety, depression, and all that stuff. So how do we give a response that fits what the environment requires? Right. So now there's different, that's where it gets complicated, right? And so that's what I call the, the Q, which means to quit. And the quit does not necessarily mean the physically, it can mean mentally. What do I mean by that? By checking the lactate, I've seen some very interesting patterns. I've seen some patterns where the response should be a fairly easy one. And you see people shooting up on the lactate levels to insane levels, to one where obviously it should not be that high. So let me give you an example. There's many, many, many like this because I've been doing this, but the one that was fascinating. I had a coach. He goes into the sun for 30 minutes. He's in Holland,
0: right? So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's like once every right. 10 days. We had to,
1: exactly, to time it right, right? He goes in the sun for 30 minutes, comes back, his levels of lactate are over 20 millimeters. Wow. For 30 minutes. So people that don't know, a normal lactate level is between one and three you you're starting to get pissed on everything. 10, you're doing a workout. 16, usually it's most people, uh, what they call uh, VLA max, which means your max capacity of producing lactate is for most people between 10 and 16. If you push to 20, 20 is a very interesting number because it's the, what they call the lactic acidosis, which is the acidity is not c- caused by lactate. But that's another podcast. Um, but that's what they call acidosis. Acidosis is very important because that's the moment that freaks out the body. It actually starts to mess with your brain, which means we've seen that uh, those levels of lactate in the brain cannot allow the gamma brain wave to work properly, which means the network of the brain starts to decompose. So you cannot think straight, literally, physiologically, you cannot think straight at 20. So it's acidosis and it's very dangerous because your pH level starts to go up. So the acidity starts to drop to dangerous levels. And there's nothing that's, that threatens the body like temperature and acidity. So that 20 millimoles is a very important number. And we see that's when people crash. And so he gets to 20 and crashes completely. Why would you get to 20 level, uh, 20 millimoles level of lactate that are being in the sun for 30 minutes? That makes no sense. If I show that to a doctor, they'll send them to the hospital, right? And so there was no reason for that. So we start talking. And then I remember he said that he was at the beach one day with his friends. An hour comes back. He's at 16. So we start to go a little bit more. And turns out he doesn't like when his vision is blurry. He doesn't like it. That's, I saw that in the Burn the Question workout where we were doing stand back. His vision got blurry and that freaked him out to no end. Turns out he hates when he cannot scan threats around himself. He's kind of a control freak. And so when he doesn't see well, he creates a sense of threats he does not handle correctly. Right. So I was like, all right, is it possible that that's what it was? 30 minutes in the sun, like his, his vision was, you know, how it is. You haven't seen the sun. You spend 30 minutes, uh, you know, even with your uh, eyes closed, right? For so a few minutes, you're like, Oh, this is different. We can also go into the dynamic range change as well of being inside all the time where you only focus on things that are two meters away from you versus being outside where suddenly you focus miles away. That also has its own, uh, thing. But anyway. Something caused that switch of lactate. And to me, it meant it was a a switch to flight. Something threatened him, his sense of identity, in a case of blurry vision, which means I cannot handle threat correctly. I freak out, and I'm in a position of tremendous danger. My lactate shoots up to untold levels. All right. So that was my hypothesis. Very simple way of testing it. Go back next day into the sun with sunglasses on same thing 30 minutes same place no one is seeing him so he wasn't a social anxiety stuff because there was no one around comes back from the 30 minutes in the sun but this time sunglasses on clocks at one point wow
0: and that's purely just due to to well the control freak right
1: i believe Mm -hmm. so and so but that's the key is i have this story times 20 now because i have all the sheets of my clients that, that i'm popping up and I've seen that story time and time and time again. I have a client of mine, Nicole, who was my first really case study on this, where I've seen her wake up at 24. Like you have to understand, the machine doesn't go past 25. She's not the only one, but uh, wakes up in the morning at over 20 millimoles of lactate. I'm like, how? Ah,
0: Is that a, that's I like an know. alarm clock plus I'm stressed out of my mind? Kind of. It sounds like it, but I'm kind of curious what the details are behind this.
1: Right. So. We look at that and I'm like, look, 24 is like your body's about to shut down. Like this is such an insane amount of lactate. Like again, it would send you to the hospital. Like we're way past acidosis, right? The machine stops at 25 minimum, just to give you an idea. Um, and so we're going like, this is insanely high. And so I'm going to the, um, the day before, right? And I'm thinking she went to bed at 17. I was like, oh what happened? Cause she woke up at two that day. So she was in a normal range. It turned out that she had a fight with her boss, but a very specific fight where she felt like she didn't stand up for herself. Like, so she's worthless. She couldn't do this and this. And then the lactate went up and up and up and up to the day, and she wakes up at 25 the next morning. And that happens three times over the course of three weeks. And every time, it was a social anxiety thing, which means she felt worthless in front of people. And that that's her trigger. So it's not the control freak thing. For her, it's something else. And so that's what is the most fascinating is, I'll show you 20 sheets and you'll see the same results from different causes. Every time, it's whatever threatened you as a person, as a, whatever threatens your identity. And it's all different. One is blurry vision. The other one is a type of, of fight. The other one is uh, at work, but different type of work, different situation, not the fight with the boss, but more something else. And it doesn't matter. There's a trigger. That whenever you press that button, sends you through the roof on your lactate levels. There are tremendous physiological consequences to having such high levels of lactate. You can't recover. Uh, you can't move properly. Like It's actually extremely destructive for your body to pump lactate at such high levels, like through the night. Or I imagine like your that. So sleep one, just
0: you know? goes to shit, right?
1: Exactly. Right. And you never recover. 20 is one of my sessions on the sweat. It's about the question of the slate. That's when you reach 20. So you're going there on a daily basis. So you might not feel it mentally, consciously, but your other hierarchies, they feel it on a daily basis. So it's 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 a hit to the sense of identity that is tremendously powerful that has, turns out, tremendously powerful physiological impact. And so I saw that and I was like, all right, so what we cannot have is that you cannot wake up at 20 in the morning, or you can't go to 20 because you went in the sun for 30 minutes. So what do we do? We just wear sunglasses all the time. I'm like, okay, that's one way to look at it. My way to look at it is how about you learn to give me a six instead of a 20. You go into the sun, your vision is weird. How about we teach you to respond with a six, which means I don't like it and not, oh my God, I'm being threatened. I'm going to die. Whatever the hell that goes through his head. Sends him to a twenty, or with Nicole, whatever the fight is, you're not gonna like it. So I'm not asking you to respond with a two, because that's wrong. What I want is instead of you going 17 at night, 25 the next day, is I'm like the guy is an asshole. You're not gonna like it. So give me an eight minimum after the fight, not something that turns into 17 to 20. And so, and I explain, I'll explain how. But I started the Q training with her, and from three took about four weeks, and I'll explain exactly what I did. It turned about four weeks, and now she had a fight with the boss, and her levels at night were at seven. Wow. To the point where she was like, but I don't understand. I still feel bad about it. I'm like, yes, exactly. It means you handled it properly, which means you don't like the guy. I never said you would, and you never will. You don't like the guy. You don't like your job. You don't like that asshole. That's fine. That's normal. uh,
0: Let's say in this instance, because uh, look, Julian, to be fair, like I have these instances myself where, and uh, I don't have the lactate level to prove this, but I'm sure, you know, email comes in and like, holy shit, boom, it just blows up your day. Right. And I'm just presuming here that my lactate levels would go through the roof. Um, With Nicole in this instance, is the the sort of reaction or response the same? Uh, Maybe from uh, a external like reaction versus uh, you mentioned there that the internal reaction has changed. Um, So does the external reaction and feeling you get change as well when you change the internal?
1: Um, the external reaction didn't change that. Well, yes, in the sense of suddenly because she wasn't crashing so hard, she was able to do more about okay. it. The key was because the internal was less of a spike, she, had, she still didn't feel good about it or anything like that. So you still freak out about it, but you're able to deal with it a bit better. And that means that...
0: And so your time spent is- essentially in that higher... Heightened mode is like it's almost you you react but you come back and you have the appropriate reaction. Okay,
1: so instead of three days, you come back eventually, hopefully right away, or not even go so far. Have you ever gotten you know like super scared to the point like you feel you can't walk straight? You know like your knees are moving all the time, or like you try to run and you run like Charlie Chaplin. Right, that's a flight mode. But you see how poor your coordination is. You see how poor your thinking is. When your levels of lactate data are lactated, so high, there's not much you can do outside of runaway just freaking out and everything. It is not a useful thing. And because you can't really do anything, it's a bit like you know, you have ever taken six coffee to do an email and realize that just, you can't do the yeah, email because you're too tired. Because you're just
0: jacked on right. caffeine, right?
1: Exactly. Right. So those levels of lactate are a bit that, like there's a physiological, there's a evolutionary reason for us to have such levels, but you don't want that on a daily basis. And in this society, that is certainly not how you can d- deal with it. So that response is a 10, right? Whereas in the case of an email, or in the case of your boss, what we need is a six, which means you don't like it, but you deal with the stuff, right? And that's what mental health is, is being able to answer a situation correctly based on the input so that the output matches the input. And so in her case, he was allowing her to not have such a strong physiological reaction. So how do we do that? Because the second you you touch the sense of self, obviously the thing is going to jump up and you have no control about it because you know Nicole did not want to wake up at 24 that morning. Mm-hmm. So you feel you have no control over it, but that's not true. What happens is you became a binary creature that is that only has two options. Quit, one, or blow up, ten. And there's basically very little in between. So I was like, alright, so you cannot move things through extremes. The pendulum just starts swinging more. I was like, alright, let's move the center. So what is the center? Is that six? I was like, alright, so how do I give a six? I'm like, well, I'm going to use training. And there's a there's a simple way. I'm going to take something that I don't like, in my case, for example, the airline. And I'm going to go on the airline, and I'm going to choose a speed at which I am not comfortable, but not freaking out. So how do I know I'm freaking out when the voice starts talking? You know, that voice that tells you to quit or tells you like, oh, and we need to do stuff after. You or have whatever. a great right. name
0: for that voice, the diva brain, right?
1: The diva brain. That's what it is, right? It's literally a part of your brain asking you, why are we spending this energy?
0: And I call it, so it's part of the
1: selfish brain theory, it's not mine, but I call it the diva brain because to me, that's what it sounds like. It's like, why are we doing this? <laughs> I mean, it's like, what we just say? No, and it's never happy. Like, if you listen to it, you'll never do anything because it's always like, we're fine, we're cool. It's the cognition part of your brain that is uh, that social creature that just requires a lot of energy to, uh, to survive and always wants more and more and more and more. Hence the dilemma, right? And so whenever you're on that airline and it's starting to move, the brain is like, no, why are we doing this? There's no bear around. There's no zombie chasing me. I have zero reason to do this. That's the voice in your ear. So the louder that voice is, you'll notice the faster you go on the airplane, the louder the voice is. All right. So if I choose a time of 10 minutes, 10 minutes, why 10 minutes? Because 8, I'm being a wuss. 15, I don't want to do that. 10 minutes, I'm like, I can do 10 minutes.
0: And so 15 is not the diva brain talking. It's just more... You know, that's just-
1: no well it will be, but it will be me quitting. Yeah. If I do 15, I'll muscle my way through the first two weeks and I'll gotcha. quit because the brain will
0: be too strong. Gotcha. Okay. That's that's
1: the thing, is the divrain can 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 be too loud. So what is where is that loudness at a six? Um a is six, why do I mean? I mean enough that you are being stressed and have to deal with it, which means you have to be present and tell the divide brain to shut up. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when, when it starts to go, oh, you go, shut the fuck up for a second. I'm doing this. There is, you're not going to stop me. I'm doing this. For me, it's 10 minutes because I'm like, I don't care. How you feel you do 10 minutes. You can, don't be a wuss. You can do 10 minutes. Come on. 10 minutes on your is not the end of the world. So I'm like, okay. If I say 15, yeah, but that's kind of wrong. And right away, I'm starting to lose already. So I will I'm already on the wrong side. So I'm like, all right. Mentally, I even different number for other people. Maybe some of you feel you can do 20. Have at it. 10 minutes. So I found that the number for me was about 60 RPM. Six, if I cruise, I'm at 55, 56. Well, I feel I can do it all day. I was like, yeah, but that's not what I'm looking for because that's a four. I want a six. So I'm like, all right. So I'm at 60. At 60 I'm like, all right, I need to pay attention to what I'm doing. But it's not 64 where I'm starting to go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then suddenly from minute six on, I'm dying. That's not the point either, because then the voice is very loud and it's winning. So what is that number where I can go that is hard enough that I have to be present and tell the divine to shut up, but not to the point where the divrain is so loud that I can't tell it to shut up anymore. Where do I win? What is that number where my battle against the divrain means I win, not the divine. If it doesn't shut up, then I lost. So for me, it's ten minutes at sixty. I moved it to sixty-three now because I'm, I'm better. But at first, it was sixty, and so that's what I call a Q minus one because Q was quit. Mm-hmm. Where is that moment when you quit? That means the divine wind is so loud you're going into flight. Can you endure the ten minutes? The ten minutes, yes. But at some point, you'll be enduring it. You'll be submitting to the divine wind and just accepting the pain. And then you, you, once you're used to this, you'll feel the voice having a very specific quality. is very whiny very um depressing almost like it takes away hope whereas at 60 i'm the way i want to feel for my day
0: so in a way this is a great way to set up your day in terms of like waking up uh, you know people here may meditate but after you meditate hopping on and really just kind of getting that first victory if you will
1: exactly that's exactly what i do that's what i do every morning Wake up, go feed the dogs, go pee. Then we go to the gym and I do my 10 minutes on the airlines because at first I was doing it as a way, as you said, to set up my day as in like, because uh, my biggest issue is procrastination always. So that's, you know, answering with one, I don't want to do it. I, I, I don't, don't like,
0: think you're the only oh. one, by the way. <laughs> There's plenty of people. on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But yeah, but so, but it was that like, do I want to do 10 minutes on the airline? I do not. It's been two months. I still don't want to do it every single time. But I'm like, dude, you can do 10 minutes. So that became the war with myself with that voice. Is like shut up, ten minutes. Give me a fucking break. Ten minutes on the online. It's not the end of the world. It's like and then, and then I started to see the results. Because those ten minutes when when I have to do an email, I'm like just do the email. Stop spending the energy thinking about it. Just do the fucking email. No one said you have to like it. I still don't like the online, but that's okay. No one said you're supposed to. And that's I was like oh, but at the same time it doesn't hurt that bad. I'm like, yeah, because I'm at 60, I'm not at 64. Because my ego didn't start winning, so you can do 64 at 10. Of course I can, I've done it. But that's not the point. The point is not to go to that 10. So it was, either I'm at 1 or I'm at 10. I can't be at 10 doing emails all day. That's never going to work past the next two weeks. So the point was like, what is something that is tediously stressful? And that's 60 for 10 minutes where you go like, I got to be present. I got to go at it. I got to go at it. And it's hard enough that I'm like, shit. But it's not like, oh my God. So that was step one. And then what I started to do after that is once I had around minute six, I'm into it going like, I'm going to do my 10 minutes. I'm not quitting. You know, like my mindset is very like, I'm not quitting this. No. Which is the way I visualize it means saying no to that voice. Then I start bringing the stuff that I have to do today or that I don't want to do into it. I start thinking about it. And it was fascinating is right away, I saw either my see myself slowing down or speeding up. Slowing down means I was having a procrastination moment. Speeding up means I was having an anxious moment. And in both cases, I was like, no, if it's going go back to 60, because that's where the work is. Not 55, kick your own ass, go to 60. And kicking my own ass, I realized that my honey didn't want to work. That's why I was at 55. That's where the freeze was in my hammies. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so I started moving myself faster when I'm at 60. And I'm breathing really hard because I'm stressed with this, but I'm still doing the work. And so suddenly I started to give me that win toward doing the work. But the win is not like, I feel amazing. I don't feel amazing. I'm still at 60 on an airdy, it still feels like shit. But it doesn't matter because I'm winning because I'm doing it. And it turns out that's what doing those emails are. It's like, you're not going to feel amazing about it. You're not going to feel like you won the world. But you're
0: winning because you're doing them. So without with that, just I'm curious, sort of the knock on effects that you realize, because you mentioned a few things that everybody on this part that's listening to this podcast can relate to, right? Emails. Like, I I know there's emails in my inbox right now that I just really don't want to deal with. There's a meeting that I have after this, that, like, hell, I'm not looking forward to. Uh, And so it's just, uh, so how does that play through? as you've been doing this the past couple of months to how you handle those?
1: And that's been the greatest thing out of the Q-training is that it's um, once you've been doing the Q-training, you realize after a while that because you're going to do the work, I'm going to do those 10 minutes. Like now I'm on a stage where I'm on there, they, fi- the questions become less and less. So now that I'm on there for 10 minutes, I start to look for the small wins instead of the small losses. If you look, when you have that meeting, all you're thinking about is a number of things you don't like about it. Right. Exactly. Right. So once I've been on that fucking airline for 10 minutes, which I still don't like, now I'm starting to look outside going, oh, that's pretty or that this. My mind is starting to get away from, yes, this sucks because I accept that. I don't like it, but it's not that I don't like it with a baseball bat anymore. Like, you know, like, why do I have to do this? I feel forced. I don't like it. I don't, I don't like it. I feel forced. It was that overblown reaction for like, dude, it's 10 minutes on real diet. Just fucking chill. So it was like, be at 60, but then spend the least amount, the least amount of mental energy possible for this work. And that I took toward the emails because it's like, how much mental energy do I need to put in that email exactly? And you realize that it's a lot less than you think. Because you don't like whatever in that email is, you're starting to spend a vast amount of energy that has no place there. You're giving me a 10. So then the question becomes, what is it in that email or that meeting or whatever that is requiring me to have such a high level of mental energy? I am being threatened somewhere. All right. Once I can figure out what that threatening thing is, I can go train it. On the airline or with weights or with whatever, so that when I face it in the email, I can lower the voice right away. And so a very interesting part of the two training that I had with my private client is a lot of them are telling me, for example, I have one who for me like he used to fold his clothes up to the last two, and then he would always leave them out. I'm sure some people can relate mm-hmm. to that one. And he doesn't do that anymore. Now he folds all of them because there's no Threat in the last two, the last two created that, that spike that he doesn't have anymore because now like he doesn't have that spike anymore. So for example, uh, Nicole has been waking up between three and four, like this morning at 1.7 for the last three weeks. And she hasn't spiked over 10 in three weeks. Yeah. Because now when she goes toward the stuff she doesn't like, she has a... Lesser response based on what the situation is instead of based on what her Diva is telling is telling her. So it would be the same thing on the email. Once you know that feeling of there, you're able to go whoa, 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 not on high. I just need to do the email. Do the email, shut up. And you're literally able to say shut up to the voice.
0: And so the, this cool? is just literally a, a com. Another conversation with the diva brain, but outside of the aerodyne context. And because your diva brain has already been tackled, it doesn't really necessarily silence the voice, but it dampens the effect of the voice. Is that right?
1: Because you can't you're not gonna silence it completely because it's not a two. You don't like it. So after that, we can talk as to why you're control free, why you have this, doesn't matter. It is part of you. That threatens you. Okay. So we know that. But again, threatening does not have to take you to a 10. The key is, can we just take it to a six? You don't have to like it. Some people, there's some emails you go like, yeah, all day. Mm-hmm. Like it's boring, but I'll do them. And then suddenly there's that specific one. Whoa. Okay, so that one means it's doing something fine. How about a six? How about a seven? But how about not a 10? And the thing is, if you only have a one or a 10, it's very hard for for you to figure out 5.2. So we start at six, and then from six after that, this variance as to, like, this is how I should respond to this one or that one. Like, for me, it was uh, very interesting. It's like, now I can get angry and not crash. So I can be angry at a situation that I don't like for work and stuff like that, then really paste, and that's it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm just angry. Whereas in the, past, in the past, that anger would always lead me to crash.
0: And, and by, by like crash, this handle. could be just sort of... Uh, like getting tunnel vision around a subject for instance and not being able to focus on anything else for the next day or so right
1: so that, that would be more anxiety okay. crash would uh, crash would be full procrastination like i don't want to do anything i feel no energy i'll do it uh, completely in a passive way
0: okay okay
1: defeated way. Tunnel vision means which can be great but if for example like you have you know six emails to do but then that one that That you know threatens you, and then that's all you do for three days, and then leaving everything else on the side. That's a sign of anxiety. Now you're giving me a ten. Well, I need a six. That email is important, but it's not necessarily that much more important than everything else. That you cannot do anything but that. That's a high anxiety response. I'm like, no, give me a six. So that might feel good at tunnel vision because you feel like you're tackling the problem. Like yes, but you're tackling you're tackling problem number one out of seven. It's not helping you. It is not a response that fits the environment that surrounds you. Therefore, it's not a good response. Because at the end, we do live. That's and that's a dichotomy, right? Is we live within ourselves, but we also live within the world. When you are responsible two or a 10, what you're doing is you are letting your inner world dictate your reaction to the outside world. And that's not how this works. It's, that's not how the world works, it's prediction versus observation. Everything is a game. It's a Bayesian inference model, everything is a game of percentages, Was like, this is my inner world, but this is the outer world, and then we're going to, there's something there that needs to, to function. So you can't surrender to the outer world either, because then there is no inner world and that's not how this works. Then you're just a slave to the system and you don't go anywhere. So where is that balance? That balance is finding the six. Because once we have a six from the center, we can start seeing whenever you need a seven or whatever you need a four or whatever, but that can only be done from the center. The extremes are not a good place to start. And so the q training was that. was like, I'm going to give you a six, something you don't like, and then we're going to make you win against it. And if that's too loud, then we lower, we lower. That's why Q-1. We find the quit, and then we're going to stay right below it, and then we're going to make you go at it, and then you're going to start winning, 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 to the point where you start to gain control over the
0: goals. Okay, so... uh... Just giving the example of the Airdyne, for instance, and you start there and you mentioned just in your own situation, sort of the last four minutes, you bring in uh, the tasks for the day and just sort of see how they feel and how your body responds to that. How does that then translate into uh, the, I guess, either weights or endurance exercise and how you get, uh, kind of look at the other aspects of Q training?
1: So... How does it translate to weight, and that has been the most fascinating part. Is I've been training my entire life, and I have been lifting weight for about thirty years, so I know my reactions really, really well. And for example, I couldn't, I could not do bodybuilding for more than three weeks without crashing. Every single time, I would blame it on being so tired, but I, but knowing like there was a, there was a fatigue there that was not normal. I was like I'm tired, but I shouldn't be. Like, I've done more without being, it's like, it's a weird form of tire. And turns out, it's a paper I can send you, uh, they were analyzing fatigue, uh, looking at chronic fatigue versus uh, physical fatigue of exercise, for example. And their idea was that, and something that I with really because I've been at it for a while, that fatigue is actually a somatic error that is unresolved by the lower hierarchies of the system. So I know it sounds very complicated. It's an entire podcast on that. That fatigue is actually, so there's a prediction versus observation uh, system, the Bayesian Bayes brain idea, um, but you have lower hierarchies that are so what we call unconscious, uh, you know, like how fast your heart beats, stuff like that, that is supposed to deal with that somatic error by itself. When it cannot, it's going to go up one hierarchy every time. Hey, that problem cannot be solved. More Higher hierarchy, more evolved hierarchy from an evolutionary perspective engages more parts of the brain, more parts of the system. And every time it goes up the hierarchy and eventually it gets to the higher hierarchies where things are being brought to the conscious mind. And that's what fatigue was. It was a somatic error being brought to the conscious mind so that you pump the handbrake and look at the situation and go, we need to fix that because on automated, we cannot. And so I was like, all right, so there's there's a, a somatic error that I cannot deal with with bodybuilding. And I find out that for me, it was always like to do that extra three, four reps to stuff like that. I was putting myself in flight in too many movements. So what is flight? That will depend completely on the person. But for example, it could be that your technique breaks down and you feel like everybody is looking at you at the gym and looking like a fool. It can be your technique breaks down and you're afraid you're gonna hurt yourself. It can be technique breaks down, but you're doing it because you know you want the muscles, but you don't feel the muscle actually working. Uh, Whatever it is that creates that sense of self being threatened will take you to flight. And that's what I was doing with uh, bodybuilding. And so I was like, all right, so there's a simple way to fix it. Two minus one, which means I'm never going to touch the fail. Which means whenever I lift, whenever I'm worrying about hurting my lower back on the right, which has been something I have since I'm 15, like, okay, so I don't go there. So I'll stop one rep short of that. Whenever I do, um, like it's external torque on the left that causes me an issue. So I bench in external torque. If I cannot do the next rep in external torque, I won't do it, right? If I cannot feel the engagement the way I want, I don't do it. That's for me. That might not be for you, but that's for me. And so what I did is I stayed at minus, uh, so I did Q minus one on that set every time. And so normally I was doing two sets, but I was like, yeah, but like that's not, that much more, that much work. So what I did is I started to increase the sets instead. So I replaced with volume what I liked with uh, intensity in the sense of in specific instances not going past the fail ever. So never being in flight. And if you look from a performance perspective, if I touch the flight, as we've seen with all my clients, the lactate level shoots up. If I put myself on a 20 millimole level just from doing bicep curls, my session is done. There's nothing of effect, there's nothing of quality that can be done at those levels. Your brain doesn't work properly. So I would feel exhausted from jumping my lactate level so high without actually doing useful work, which means I would not get bigger biceps. So I feel like I exhausted myself because I did. And yet I have no results to show for because the stress was not put on the muscle, it was put on my physiological system not allowing me to push, for example, the muscle to where it needs to be pushed. So instead, I stay into Q minus one, and then I increase the volume so that I could go at the So muscle. the
0: idea there is, okay, never touching this area, right? Um, and so you have uh, just a ceiling uh, to picture for people and sort of staying right below that ceiling. Uh, right the So what, uh, because I've had a little experience with Q training, uh, but... What happens when, okay, for instance, uh, does everybody need a lactate monitor in order to really nail this or are there other metrics? And then secondly, um, if you hit you and you weren't expecting to hit it, like let's say you had a shitty night's sleep, you wake up and, you know, 10 bicep curls is sort of like your warm up on bench day. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, things aren't going here. Uh, do you just stop? What do you do in those situations?
1: So if you reach twenty more, mm, like you should stop because honestly, there's nothing you can do past that. You, go, you could go do some in December to lower yourself and then start training again, right? Because at twenty more, mm, your body will not respond to training. Mm-hmm. The, but the, the biggest thing with Q-training and what surprises me the most is you don't necessarily know you hit fail. I had, now Nicole told me like she felt the same way at 10 and then at 23. Except at over 20, usually you crash completely. But um, most people, whether they are at eight or 18, will not necessarily know the difference. Which is a massive difference, but they don't because it's actually at first, it's very hard to know the difference between I don't like it and I'm threatened by it. You'd be surprised how many people cannot tell you the difference. And that's why the lactate levels matter so much in there. Is because like I would never know that my coach, for example, uh, 30 minutes in the sun would trigger him that high, ever. We would have missed it. There's no question. So you're going to go like, oh, I know exactly what that feeling is. You know exactly what the feeling is. I don't like it. Yes, that's true. It's not necessarily true that you know exactly how that flight feels like. We are very disconnected from stuff like that because we are being put in, in situations where we have to do things regardless. Since... Uh, early age in school and everything. And I've seen quite a lot of people where, so let me tell you a story. I'll explain exactly what I mean. I have uh, a coach. He sends me a private client. So we're doing it the three hours, right? And so I'm starting to look at her lactate uh, measurements. And so we talk about a competition that she had, prospect competition, when after the workout, she's at 20 more, And she's like, yeah, I hate when people look at me. It's like, all right, so more like social anxiety. That's what drove her. I'm like, all right, so can we train alone? We start talking then I look at the sheet and I see two other moments where she's over 23 or she's at 19 or stuff like that. And I know a typical workout takes her to a nine or a 10. So I was like, how come those two were over 18? What happened there? She was like, well, no, there was no one at the gym. It was fine. I'm like, well, that's not fine. Like you're way too high. Like we touch something you don't like, Like but you don't like that. Like your unconscious part, let's call it that, that your unconscious doesn't like. And I'm like, how come? There was push presses in there in almost three. Because the first one at the competition, you had to do a ball slam. Then I see a push press with dumbbell, and I see a push press with a barbell. And and then we start talking, and I'm like, are you like all traps when you train? And our coach was like, yeah, yeah, she is. I was like, I'm curious. Do your neck hurt? And she goes, yeah, when I go overhead, I do this, and then I feel it in the spine. And I'm like, oh, you don't like when your neck hurts. And she was like, oh, I'm tough. Uh, I can handle it. I I was like, that's not what I asked. I didn't see if you could endure it. I'm asking you don't like when your neck hurts, do you? And she goes like, and then 20 minutes of talk, she goes like, yeah, yeah, I don't like it. That kind of scares me because it's my neck. I'm over 30 and then I feel. And then I'm like, all right, so now we're going somewhere. You don't like that when you go overhead, your neck hurts. It freaks you out. And she goes, yeah, looking back. So I'm like, all right, so let's see. We take the stand back. We make her do a five by five pushing slightly forward, lactate levels at four. Two days later, she does a push jerk, but lactate level is at 17. She was afraid of her neck. If you talk to her, she would tell you that the reason she felt bad at the competition was people looking at her, not her neck, not feeling her neck. That's almost like an unconscious fear that is that is ruining those workouts for her. Because the second she did three, she was already out of breath. Well, yeah, you're pumping your lactate levels to in godly amounts, it's a lot of energy being spent, like being created, a lot of energy being spent. Your acidity level is going to start to go up because of the ATP to ATP translation, like stuff like that. Like you already lost the workout, you haven't even started yet, just because you're afraid of doing the, the, the typical movement that will hurt your neck. But I needed the lactate levels to get her to understand that Because for her, it was something else. And I see that
0: all the time. So in the case, look, this is fantastic. And I I am a big fan of measurement in terms of just bringing general awareness, right? It just makes, uh, because we spend so much time drowning out our levels of awareness that it's it's useful to, of course, have measurement no matter what it is. Now, uh, in the case of the neck or... I know you mentioned earlier on the bike that like there was some security in the ham or there's hamstrings. Like, how do you? What's the course correction pattern here, or is it like do, do they go to the chiropractor, for instance? Like I, I okay, how do we how do we kind of course correct these things?
1: So the way we uh, course correct it, like I'll use her example in mine. Uh, hers is simple: is right now you can't feel your neck. So, we're going to do the sandbag and you're going to press forward and everything. So, we're going to have to engage the pecs. So, what we have to do is to teach her to move correctly. Because the problem is, she went overhead with weight, pushing her head forward, loading the traps because she could not load the proper pattern with the correct muscles. That was coaching, right? It was just uh, jumping her head when you're not ready. And so, her structure is not ready to put weight overhead with the barbell pushing her head through. She just doesn't have. Sorry, the mobility to do so. So I was like, all right, then we're going to get the pecs going, we're going to get the lats going, and we're going to use a sandbag because you can control the sandbag in a way that you won't feel your neck. That is not true with a barbell. So we're going to get you back to the barbell, but first we're going to need to build a structure. Right? It could be that I need to change your technique or stuff like that. Yeah, we might get there. For me, is I could tell like there was a lack. The the hammies just did not want to work. I was like, all right, then time to decide who's going to win. And so what I've been doing is on squat and deadlift day is like a shit ton of strength. At first, isolation work just to make it contract and get the conversation going. And now it's compound movement, but with that external torque uh, on the left that results into my hammies my on the left not doing exactly what I want. And so I went at it through the Q-1 and, th- and that's the beauty of the thing is now I can target my hammies because I don't fail. If I don't fail, I don't dread the hamis, And therefore, I do more volume, I do more work, I get more connection, I get better skill, and I come back the next session and I do it again. Like how many sessions are we skipped because we never forgot or something hurt or whatever? Guess what? You just don't want to do it. And you might have a very good reason not to want to do it, for example, in the case of my client, because your neck hurts. And it's not a good feeling. So instead of playing the tough guy, they're like, oh, I'm fine, I can endure everything. No, we go like, there's a problem, we fix it. So how do we do it? We're going to challenge it, but not stay away from it because that's a problem as well. So that's what you do when you skip that session. Oh, I forgot to do my hamis today, all that stuff. You're giving me a one, you procrastinate on the work that needs to be done, or you give me a 10, which means you do you know, max max weight on the sumo and then your hamis are shot for two weeks, but then you don't have to, to train them because you kind of hurt yourself. And you could see that in both cases, he ends up with you not doing the work. You, you're not doing the email. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So the key of Q-training is that, is like, what do I need to do to allow you to, to gain that confidence to shut up the voice so that you can do the work where it needs to be done? It's a lot harder than it sounds.
0: It, it's, now that I'm going through this with you, it's far more complex than I uh, w- was originally envisaging. And, and it's amazing of course and I, I just so in the case of for instance the neck uh, and it kind of boils down to somewhat of biomechanics right They're they're misloading and so uh, assuming that the person has a coach that knows how to identify this it's really building it's rebuilding those biomechanics basically in order to uh, and is most of the problem just awareness of muscles? Like, are people just so shut down in their mind that they don't connect to the muscles?
1: Same uh, problem. If you look at any exercise, any performance, anything, you can always decompose it in three levels. You have a neural output, the capacity to, you know, create the neural energy to push the thing, what they call the nervous system, uh, which is wrong. But you get the idea. It's like the capacity to generate the fight toward the movement. If you're hurting, your system will go, uh-uh, we're not doing that. There's also the skill, right? So the technique of the lift, which matters, obviously, because you're using good leverage. And then there's muscle capacity. Are those muscles capable of contracting to the level that I need them to in you know, order to handle that specific weight? And do you have the muscle there in the first place? We always have muscle. They might be underdeveloped and they might not contract hard enough to get us what we need. And so. Uh, we see a lot of it being, first, the skill work, which means maybe you are using the wrong leverage, right? So we can we start with that because that's, that would be the simpler way to fix it, hopefully. Many times it's not that or it's just not enough. Then we get to muscle capacity where you might have pegs, but they just you either don't have enough or they just don't contract the way we need to for you to be able to press that weight over, that weight overhead, not to press overhead to present that weight overhead, because it's not enough to look at it as my neck doesn't hurt when I put my arms up. Who cares? What matters is if your neck hurts at that weight, because that's your fail. Your fail is not going overhead. Your fail is that specific weight at that specific rep. So that means, and that matters. So let's say the problem is 185 overhead for seven reps. So you're I'm going to do. We're going to go 185 for six reps. And we're going to do sets of that. And then the third set might not be six reps, might be four reps, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to keep challenging you right below the ceiling and I'm going to keep right below the ceiling, but I'm going to keep challenging you because I need to challenge you for you to make progress. So it's not let's not go overhead, but it's also understanding like, yeah, we can use 185 or 185 starts to hurt right away. Then we use 175 and then we do seven reps. But if you fail at the seventh, I'm going to put you at the sixth. What does failing means? Maybe failing means on the seventh rep, your technique goes to shit, goes to shit and that scares you. Then we don't do the seventh rep. Maybe it means that you could do 10 reps, but at rep number six, you start to feel the neck. That means we do five reps. It doesn't matter in that sense, right? And then we just figure shit out on the volume after that. But the key is you cannot do that rep that takes you to the bad place. And it can be, oh, I failed something, I don't like it. All right. but. Let's not step away from that exercise. On the contrary, let's go at that exercise. Let's just not take it to the bad place. It's that dark cave, look, look, Skywalker. You know, what do you, whatever you bring with you, just don't do the extra two reps. And it's not that you're not capable of doing it. You're not, don't worry about it. We know you're capable of it. It's all good. We all love each other. It's just that if you do that extra rep, either your technique goes to shit or it just feels wrong. You've done that when you got five reps, felt awesome. And then you do the six and it feels like shit.
0: So, this is in a sense removing the ego from it and just really, Um, yeah, which to be fair, a lot of people are going to struggle with that. Now, looking at. Yeah.
1: So, do I, but but then you know what? Do another set.
0: Do another set. So so many of us uh, grew up with. Uh, programming uh, given to us, right? Or, or at least those that are fortunate enough to have worked with trainers. And I remember going back to the original uh, story that we started with, like my West Side training splits, where you do X number of sets, and usually it was an a tremendous amount of sets and higher rep or dynamic effort days would be, you know, interesting types of reps and that kind of stuff. Um, and you wanted to hit the numbers on the page. And so, what were actually proposing here, what you're proposing here is that pay more attention to what's going on in the muscle rather than the numbers on the page, right?
1: No matter what. No matter what. But that being said, I can still make you hit those 12 sets on the on the on on your speed days and everything. The question is whether you should do that extra rep that you have in mind of doing or not. So the number of sets, we can do it. Like, there's a moment where it's just playing too much. But we could discuss what too much is. Like I'm willing to go into that. The biggest difference that I see me during the set is don't go into the fail during the set. Like you want to develop mental toughness and you want to do 12 sets no matter what? Sure. I don't mind that that much. But what I don't want you to do is when it says five reps and you're at three and you know like you're going to start shifting on the force but you do it anyway. That's where the bad shit happens. Like if we talk powerlifting, remember I think it was even Ed Cohen who was saying like he had an entire program where he didn't miss a lift. Even uh, Dave Tate West Westside talked about like don't miss lifts. Don't miss like remember when he bench on the close grip he doesn't even want you to struggle on the bench. Remember when he was saying that he was like he was there he doesn't want you to lock out to have a hard lock out when he makes you do the close grip because that's not the point. So you could see that you could see that's Q training technically it's the same thing Except the difference with me is to incorporate that flight mode that seems to come from the sense of self. That is not just enough to not fail physically, is you cannot fail mentally. And that is that mental fail has a physiological impact on you that is much greater than we understood. I think the medical world has missed the role of lactate completely and its importance in the measurements.
0: Okay. So aside from the fact that you should have an affiliate commission on when I buy my lactate monitor right after this, uh, we want to, uh, if we don't mind passporting this to something like sprinting, for instance. um, So uh, what would the breaking point feel like as a, as a sprinter and and keep in mind, like I'm not a sprinter. I try, Uh, but you know, is yeah, exactly. I, I'm asking you because I know you live with one, uh, you know, what is, exactly. what does Q minus one look like for a sprinter? And, uh, you right. know, how it can we? Was very interesting.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, so we have raised. So I need to explain a bit because that's fascinating. That got me uh, super excited. So uh, she's going to our powerlifting, but she's still running, obviously, and stuff like that. And the biggest difference was the what we call the silence of Q training is once you have shut up that voice, is it creates something like, if we go into sprinting, are you moving yourself or are you moving the world? What do I mean by that? When you hit the ground, are you trying to move yourself off of it or are you pushing it down? Think about the airdyne. Are you pushing really hard on the handles and the pedals or are you trying to move yourself faster? It's not the same. So there's moving yourself and it's moving the world. And the more I could shut off the world, The less she's moving the world, the less she's moving herself, the more she's moving herself. And so when I put her on Q training, she realized how loud the voice was, but the voice had impacts. Like when she was doing drills, it was about making the drill look good instead of getting the results out of the drill, because the voice was so loud, always it would guide her in the the drills, in her workout and everything. that voice is so loud that it takes so much energy out of you. That it takes the energy away that you're supposed to put in the movement. And at that level, it's you know it's the it's the little thing. It's that little uh, extra attention that you can put in a movement. That that timing because at that level everything is timing. That timing we pre- requires flow, requires silence. And so the more I give her silence, the better our timing is. And so now she's doing. 15, 20-minute conditioning uh, workouts running that are better than what she was in season at her highest conditioning levels. Wow. Why? Because it's quiet. There's a silence. If nothing, no one is talking, she can just run. And when she can just run, she runs within herself. She starts to move herself instead of moving the track. And that has made all the difference in the world. So suddenly it changed your technique too because she doesn't force off the track, she moves herself. So it's better into motor, she got into flow, and that has had massive changes on her technique,
0: but because of the science, And so build this for me a little bit, because obviously she didn't start with uh, the quietness, like was the identification process, was it similar to you on the airdyne, or how does, it, how does that Yeah, work? so we
1: did, so, yeah, so first time she's on the dine. And uh, she can go longer than I can. I do 10 minutes, but her, she can go uh, longer. So I go on the other dine, I get there, she's minute seven and she's all over the place. She's like this, you know, hands on the waist and and looking like she, and I'm like, what are you doing? All right, put your hands back on the handle, breathe, focus, just focus. Be Like don't be all over the place, just focus. And so she starts to go and then with 55 was a bit too, uh, too fast for her. So we come down 52 and I'm like, all right, so now, now that we found the number, just stay there. And you could tell she wants to go everywhere else but there. And I'm like, no, no, hey, hey, stay. But she's someone who wants to speed up in between sets, who wants to do stuff, she cannot do one thing at a time. So it's more than you're anxious, mm-hmm. time, right?
0: Sounds familiar so, no to me. How,
1: so. <laughs> and I'm like, stay with me. No, no, stay with me. You stop pushing like this on the handle with your fingers. Because she has a tr- her, it's a triceps. Me, it's Hamis, but her, is triceps. It's like, use your triceps, which makes you freak out. And so she wants to go all over the place. And now we're getting to minute 10. And I'm like, all right, so you're getting better. You're getting under control. Just do 15 and we're done. And the second I say that, she comes down. And then at minute 12, she's so relaxed. Same number, 52, same number. She's so relaxed. You're like, all right, finish to 13, you're done. And she's like, no, 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 no. You say 15, let me go to 15. I'm like, all right. But then she spent the next two and a half minutes like this. With nothing, zero, like spending zero energy. Mm. And and, she's still at 52, same thing she was five minutes ago dying. And so then she gets out of the airline and she goes, Wait, so what am I tracking? This and this and this happened. It's the same thing, right? I was like, Yes, exactly. She was like, Oh, I get it. She started to realize how much energy she was spending. Where there was no need, it would not make you run any faster. It doesn't do anything but just having a very loud voice. And that's when you realize we all do it to a degree where we all want to train hard. So we finish the session wasted. Did you finish the session wasted because you physically wasted yourself or because you wasted your sense of self, which has very dark, which is a very dark path. And she did that a lot of time where in her mind, she had to push the hardest possible. In order to have a good training session because she's so driven but she took that drive to i'm going to destroy my sense of self instead of i'm going to get good at sprinting and so you could see how that would get in the way and so the key was to start with quieting down the voice so i put her on the airline all the time and at first like it's the same story after at minute four she's like this with and i'm like no put your hand Proper grip, find your tricep. And she's like, okay, okay. And then she starts to focus. Start to. Do she wants to get off every time. She wants to give me a one. I'm like, no, go faster. Use your tricep. Just don't crash. Don't freak out. And so it's that, like, um, it seems to me like the best analogy I, I could make is that a lot of us, we want, for example, to solve issues when we talk where your mind is at a seven, right, important issues like an email or whatever. But your body cannot understand what you're saying because you're seeing it's not cold, not warm. There's nothing around. You're well fed. Your body is at a one. It's sitting. It's chill. And your mind is at a seven. And there's a lack of communication between the two. That means that your system is not working well. So what I do with the airdyne is I allow your body to be at the same level that your mind is at so that they can finally talk. So that when you think about a problem, you feel it physically as much as you feel it mentally. Now there is no somatic error, and now we can move forward.
0: Wow, wow! There's a there's a lot to unpack here, Julian. <laughs> it's just yeah. it, it's fascinating, and I love uh, so love where you're taking this. Okay. And uh, like a the, the results,
1: yeah, the results have been crazy, crazy. Like Nicole is selling me stuff. Like it's it's more than I ever thought I would see. Like it's crazy on myself too. By the way, the voice now that the voice is quiet, my training sessions are. Insanely, uh, I'm so sore. By the way, the Q training does not stop you from soreness. The, the so volume
0: sore, so is absolutely sore. absurd. To be fair, like uh, I just sure. I, I, I I total it up every isolation. day, and I'm like, wow, this is a lot of weight. Uh, and,
1: and I don't even do isolation work. It's only compound movements now. It's insane. That's why I'm I'm putting it on Instagram so people to go like, yeah, I'm doing it. But uh, I live and mentally I'm fine. So as long as I'm fine mentally, then I can go back the next day. Go like, yeah, let's this again. Like physically, I'm paying the price. Don't get me wrong, but the results, like, but it's it's the, the the results, like on the side, is the the not freaking out, the not like being angry and not crashing. It's the it's the silence outside of the gym also that I it's working so well. It's crazy. On my, with my one-on-ones, I have seen stuff. Like I had a guy, I had a problem with importance uh, because same thing in bed, he was either one or a ten. So how are you going to make that work? If it's a one, then nothing happens, right? And so we, we, we work that through with the Q training because suddenly he knows what a six is. It's like, right, right. So you find the same pattern every time is you cannot give me a six. So if you look in your stuff or you can't give me a six, that's the fail. All right, let's do that. Let's give you the skill of a six exactly in that thing. And once you do that, then the voice gets quiet, and you go, "Oh, why could I do that in the first place?" I think this. We. I think this supposed to be silence.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's the problem. I, I don't think I'm fixing anything. I think I'm just bringing silence where it's supposed to be silent.
0: Yeah, it's not supposed to be shy. So, if somebody were to listen to this and say, "Like, hey, I, I'm interested." Um, and they have like particular is the sort of first step to identify those particular behavior patterns that will not be helpful to them. Uh, so for instance, right. uh, with me, there's situations where I'm dealing with third parties and they'll say something, do something, not do something. And it will sink me, uh, almost sink me. Like I'll just get very tunnel visioned on it to the point where the other 20 priorities are kind of forgotten about. Uh, is that, the, the first step in the process to identify those things that you want or
1: if if, um, if I could so let's say I take you on right so first what we do is uh, we get a lactate tester and we look at those meanings and you give me a lactate testing after each of those meanings some will be lower than you thought and then there'll be a few where we go "Ooh, that's the one then what we're going to do is we're going to find the form of cardio that you hate the most for me it's the And you're going to find that number where you're like, all right, shit is real. Right, And then I'm going to keep you there because I know by minute five, you're going to start to have the problems of either not being able to maintain by crashing or getting so tunnel vision. You're like, yeah, but you like I can do 65 and I'll know from your behavior that you're starting to get that objective driven stuff that takes you too far. And I'm like, no, I didn't say 15 minutes. I didn't say 66. I'd say 60 at 10. And you'd be like, yeah, but it's not enough. I'm like, I know 60 at 10. Don't give me a 10, give me a six okay. And then suddenly you, you'll find that middle gear that you like into the tunnel vision. So the key will be that, is to find the stuff that wants to drive you toward that high gear and to keep you at the middle gear and make you realize that it's not that bad. And most likely you don't need the high gear. You can do the same amount of work at a much lower gear, which is performance.
0: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful.
1: So that, so that's how we do it. And so that's why that, that morning ritual, which I don't count as a training session. So that's why on the template, I just talk about it, but I don't put it is because I don't see it as a training session. I see it as just setting up my day correctly.
0: And so all the difference in the And world. so for somebody who, so Airdyne is an example, but like, let's say you just have it. So I have a Carroll bike right behind me. It's just like a resistance bike. I could use the same thing and just sort of adjust the resistance accordingly in order to get to that Middle gear, if you will. Um, exactly. Fantastic.
1: Right, it would work well. So we we find a number where you go, I can do that, but not like get the ego out of it. Like, what truly can you do? For me, ten minutes. I'm like, yeah, I can do ten minutes. with nine minutes, some short. Ten minutes is double digits. I like it, and I'm like, I can mm-hmm. do ten minutes. Like, I can do that. Come on, it's not the end of the world. I'm like, all right, ten minutes. And then I'm like, what is the speed where well, it means business? But not, it's not a training session, It's just it means business, I'm going to be out of breath, That—that that very specific. I don't want to hear my heart pounding, because if my heart is pounding, then I'm too far, it makes me want to quit right away. So I know at 160, I'm too high. So I was doing the Star Master the other day, because I was curious, and 140 heart rate was great.
0: So it's slightly so above Zone have- 2, essentially, it's sort of in that Zone 2, Zone 3 area.
1: So on the Stairmaster, that was 140. I would have to test to see if that's the same on the, on the airline. So that's some testing we could do is to see. I know exactly what it feels like, but does that mean a specific heart rate or not? I don't know yet. I haven't tested that but I know the feeling and I know that on the Stairmaster, it was 140 heart rate it was exactly the feeling. I've, I've done that on the elliptical and the, it was higher. I could go to 155, but once I get to 160, uh, my, heart rate started, my heart started
0: pounding in my chest. And I didn't like it any. And then I, I'm just wondering if this is an impact thing. Would running make it like if it's lower? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: maybe, maybe. There's something to be said. And the, the 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 Stairmaster, my calves were burning. So there's something there as well where like you want to feel, but not too much. On the elliptical, there's almost no feeling of muscle, which was, there is on the airline and it definitely is on the Stairmaster for my calves. So there was. There seems to be a number of things there where that, when you put all that sensitive, uh, like sensory input, gets. There's a, a moment past that where it's just too much. So we stay right below that. But there's a an accumulation of a, of a sensory input there that seems to be the key. All
0: right, Julian. So just to kind of summarize a few key points for people. First, if they want to do this. Uh, it's probably best to find a coach who's very familiar with the key training because you do need somebody that's going to pay attention to what you're doing, what you're not engaging, etc. Um, lactate monitoring sounds absolutely essential, and then, and then uh, you know, really just starting to engage in the awareness of your muscles in order to figure out what's not turning on or what are you refusing to go to.
1: Right. And even before that, what is your fear? right? So that's going to be the key at first is do you, um like I've seen, for example, there's three types of anxiety. When you look at the anxiety sensitivity index, you have three types. You have physical symptoms, you have cognition, and you have social symptoms, right? I've seen that the physical and the social, the cognitions are usually linked. So what does that mean from a training perspective is most of the time you're afraid that technique breaking down or whatever that movement is, will result in catastrophic injuries. That might be a scenario that you're overplaying in your mind. It doesn't matter. It's your scenario. And so there's a specific movement when you do, when you feel your shoulder turns, you know like your neck is going to crack the next day or, oh, yeah, but my lower back, and that one basically explodes in your mind. Why? We cannot go there. So the key at first is that, is is what is that place where we cannot go? We need to define where it is. And then once we define it, we build so that you never go there. And once we can stay within that fight and not flight, then I can do whatever I want with your training. Like, it doesn't matter. I'll just add sets. And because you're not failing, your capacity just went up. Because all the energy that you were spending crushing your sense of self, I can use it to crush your body instead. Mm -hmm. So you can do so much more. That's the only reason I can do the volume I'm doing right now is because mentally it doesn't touch me at all. Physically, Jesus Christ...
0: Julian, this is amazing. Uh, Okay, so last time you got away with, because Richard was also in the room, not answering my sort of random questions, uh, but I need to kind of pick your brain here a little bit. Um, And maybe you actually did answer one of them, Uh, but what kind of role have, uh, and maybe you can kind of go through some of your mentors, but what role have mentors played in your life?
1: I always refer to Nietzsche as the first one. (laughs) because it was, uh, you know, Beyond Good and Evil, uh, Genealogy of Morals, and of course, the the spikes are too strong. It was just, first of all, it was the genius of the man and everything and his capacity to pack entire books in a a sentence. But um, it came at a a moment in my life where things were dark. I was about 18. Uh, Like, long history of bad, uh, bad childhood, bad family. But it was also a he talked about the secret gardens in this genealogy of morals, I think I can't remember which one, but he talked about the, the secret gardens where he talked about philosophy just as a way to develop his inner world. And that struck a chord. I mean, that and many other things struck a chord in the sense of what he allowed me to understand is that I needed to spend time to develop the inner world, that the focus was not just the outer world. Like I was told, you know, go to school, go get a job. It's like, yeah, but, there is a greater, uh, there are greater riches to find inside first, and if you can build that, then eventually the world will just follow. But that I needed to, to, to take my intelligence and make it into something, shape it into something, and all. and because the that idea that just having a job or a career, like I'm sure we all went through that, but it was just not enough. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't get it. Like this is not. The goal of life. I mean, if it is shit, and I'm, I'm out, I'm, I'm in trouble. You know what I mean, because I felt it. I was like, there's no way that life that they're telling me is the normal life. There's like, it sounds so empty to me. And I was like, I need more. And that's what Nietzsche provided. He provided an entry to the secret gardens, but not just all that stuff that I felt. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a way to build that, to to make it greater and and better and everything. So th- there was an entire Idea for me there that was at the time saved me literally like it was the most important thing.
0: And do you do you point people in terms of Nietzsche? Do you point people to Beyond Good and Evil, Thus Spoke Zarathustra? Which one where would you start with?
1: um genealogy of morals. Okay. I think okay. uh, Beyond Good and Evil. I would go first. Beyond Good and Evil. Beyond Good and Evil is, is a great, great one. Those Spoke Zarathustra is, is almost poetic. Yeah, he wrote it right before he died, and it's a. Uh, that's what really the book that touched me the most by by far. But I, I think if he doesn't speak to you directly within the two first two paragraphs, um, then just go to Beyond Good and Evil and see the. See, how predicted the state of the Western civilization that it is now. If you're going to take anything out of it, go into genealogy or morals and stuff like that, and see how. He saw exactly where we are right now, and, and his view uh, on existentialism, which is, which I think we need a large dose of right now. I think we need the, the existentialists to come back, honestly, uh, in Western civilization. So that, that was a very important uh, mentor. After that, honestly, the Greeks, where I read that extensively, like, Socrates, you don't even need to agree or not, but because uh, Plato has his issues as well, but the there was the, the fundamentals of logic was so important, mm-hmm. right? Of logical thinking is that too needs to come back, is is so important, right? As a if you want anything, and I'm not talking science like getting a PhD, I'm talking about just having the correct way of looking at a problem, because that's what science is, it's a mindset, it's not a thing. Uh, the Greeks still developed that the first, and we are still. They gave us the base for Western civilization for that. So it went from the Greek philosophers, to the Greek mythology. I, uh, I was such a student of all of that because it was a way of looking at the world that was very specific to a need to make things work correctly, right? So if you look, that those were my mentors. Really, the people I'm like, all right, how do I do this? Because at the end, you need that. So. It was niche, but like, how do I build inside? And then after that, I was like, how do I build outside? So logical thinking is necessary. And then all my list of mentors really is the, the people that allow me to go to the next stage going like, how do I build that? The last one being Carl Fristen, obviously. So I was like, oh, that's how the system works. I get it. Then I can do this and I can do that. And then, so it was, it was always that. At some point, you need to figure out the stuff and make it work. So it's great to have functional segregation where people study things in you know, in super small bubbles. But at some point, you need to make the stuff work for people. Like They have to be able to take your stuff and make it work. I'm guilty of being conceptual all the time. But I still try to put example out there so that people can try to see if they understand the concept and put it into practice for themselves. And the Q training is really that. If you look, it's like it's all that work the last 40 plus years of my life that I'm Putting it into a system, going look. If we do it like this, those are the results that I saw with my own people. We can do this. It just has to be applied a certain way. So they, those have always been my mentors. The people that were obviously they all geniuses, uh, but that had that helped mankind as they went. Mm-hmm.
0: Final final question here. Why or what got you interested in mental health? Because you take a very a different path from many people in this field what brought you into the interest of mental health and maybe it was Nietzsche and all these guys but
1: no I saw it firsthand I saw I saw the greatest mind that I've ever met my brother waste away like he died when he was 40 suicide but it took it took it took 40 years to die really like he had a uh, very difficult childhood, worse than mine. His mother was actually worse than mine, was my half-brother. And um, as I grew up, I saw the greatest mind that to till this day I've ever met doing nothing with it, being wasted away and gradually just uh, in the last five years of his life being so crazy that it didn't even make sense anymore. I mean, but like he was really such a sharp mind, and to see the descent into hell, drugs, all that stuff all of such a great potential! Imagine what the world lost by not having him. Imagine if Nietzsche had the same mother, my brother did, uh, and had not developed himself to be who he was. The loss would have lo- The world would have lost so much, right? And, and that's always what motivated me. Is like how many of them did we lose? We lost my brother, but how many did we lose? How many Isaac Newtons, Albert Einstein? Nietzsche, how many of those did we lose just by letting them wither away and never, like, we've probably lost so
0: many. Yeah, and are in the process of probably losing a lot of people, too.
1: Right now, especially, right? And that stuff, it's it's stuff like that where I'm like, there has to be a way. There, There is no way that an intelligence that strong cannot be, even if we, from a selfish perspective, cannot be used for the greater good. There has, like, there's no way, like, you cannot be that smart, that sharp and not find a way to be, maybe not happy, but because that might not be the goal of life, but purposeful, like, you know, waking up in the morning, like driven to do something good for mankind. Like, there is no way we cannot find that. There is no way. There, there has to be a way. So, and I, I refuse to believe that anxiety and depression are diseases, like, no, why would nature create diseases like that there' no reason there has to be a function nature doesn't do anything without function there's no need to create what You create anxiety just to torture us is that like to me that's ego that's the ego of the Western world who thinks that because the soul is divine therefore anxiety is either the work of the devil or a way an egotistic way of looking at the purpose of the soul you know what I mean whereas, he has a function, we just don't understand it well. We're still suffering from 1,000 years of the Catholic Church in a way. <laughs> I think in a way, we look at the at the way the system is, and I think that's what Carl Friston, the doors is opening, is that functional integration that he talks about. He's like he talked about with uh, embodied cognition. It's like, there is no brain without a body. We have to stop splitting the two. It doesn't work like that. A brain cannot sample a universe without a body. So That alone is the most forward, the most revolutionary thought the medical world has had, probably ever, that the brain cannot sample the body, the, the world without a body. That alone takes you so far into that. And so for me, when I saw that, I was like, then there is no way. There is, like, then as a, as a human being, as a species, we have the, we have the duty to save those people. Like how many have we lost? And so that since I'm a kid, since I'm like eight years old, seeing that, I was like, there has to be a way to do this better. What is this society that grinds people like that into that state? Why? And so I was like, I'll I'll figure it out. Maybe not, but I need to understand. I need to understand. Why? What did you do with
0: Julian, I. I I just want to acknowledge you uh, you've made training fun for me again and you've also like you, Richard Ed, the crew have been uh, very very instrumental in how I've both approached my training but also bringing that mental work into training so thank you for everything that you do. Now where can everybody find you? Uh,
1: On Instagram at strongfit1 or Julian. Go on strongfit.com and then you can email me or go to the mm-hmm. go to the website and then you'll get all the infos there.
0: And you have a community, but, uh, right? <laughs> a right, right. Uh,
1: com- I'm on uh, Mighty Networks. Yeah. I'm on Mighty Networks because I tried to get away from Facebook and all that. <laughs> so censorship is another problem. So I ended up going on a platform called Mighty Networks. And on there, you can find us under the StrongFit Multiverse, which allowed me to put all my content in one place. So that was actually really cool and I'm, I'm a an nerd and a geek so I could do everything dragon Z, stuff
0: just. very cool all right so we're going to close out here for today but uh, Mr. Pino I do miss having you here in Amsterdam it's uh, you know it was much easier to just walk over to your house and now I may have to fly to Rio so I look forward to the day when that happens
1: exactly it's a good place
0: thank you for taking the time today pleasure The show notes for this one, again, are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash strongfit2, as in the number two. If you enjoyed this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Every one of those reviews just brings, oh, such a sweet smile to my face. If you're on YouTube, click subscribe. And if you want access to the show notes, Advanced notice of guests, as well as the ability to ask questions to these guests, head on over to decodingsuperhuman.com and join the email list. Finally, this show does not provide any sort of medical advice. I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be a doctor. And if you want a physician or medical advice, it's probably best you go speak to a doctor. This is really just sharing information. And I hope you enjoy the sharing of that information. Thank you so much. your attention and have an absolutely excellent day.